Hi and welcome to the Kwezi Science Report. I am Tanya Faber. I am the senior science reporter for Sunday Times and Times Live. And today I am going to be talking about birds. I have come across an amazing study that I want to tell you about. But before I even get to the study, I want to share a personal anecdote with you about a revelation that I had recently when I suddenly became very interested in birds. And I'm not just talking about birds in, you know, game reserves or when we are sort of actively looking for them, but I'm just talking about our everyday lives in the concrete jungle because I have had some amazing experiences recently. And then after that, I want to share an interview with you that I did with a guy who calls himself a semi-pro birder, but actually the depth of his knowledge is astounding. And what I love is that he knows so much about birds in the urban environment, which is exactly what I'm focusing on today. So here we go. So why are you suddenly so interested in birds? So the study that I came across is about the dawn chorus, and I'm going to tell you about that. But honestly speaking, there's a reason why I was suddenly finding studies on birds. And it's, it's actually, it's quite a funny story, I guess, but it really has opened up my eyes. I didn't grow up with birds. I mean, you know, we had a garden and we had birds in the garden, but I never had birds as pets. I've never been up close and personal with birds. And then recently my two daughters got a pair of lovebirds and I was a bit skeptical because, you know, I didn't want to keep them in cages. So we've kind of kept them at home pretty free range. You know, they sleep in their cage, but they, we take them out into the garden and they would glide around. And then I suddenly realized firstly that they were these completely sentient beings. I mean, I honestly, to be frank, I had no idea they were so sentient. They are so clever and so affectionate and so in tune. It's amazing. And also their anatomy is incredible. The way I had no idea that they could, you know, they pull themselves up with their beak and the way their claws hold onto things. And I can feel when they're standing on my hand, the way their entire body is designed to stabilize them when they're on a surface. So, um, so you know, after a few days, I was completely in love with the lovebirds. And then we had been told that their wings were half clipped, which meant that they couldn't fly away, but they could sort of glide around the garden. But then lo and behold, um, two or three weekends ago, disaster struck. And the one lovebird went flying off onto the roof. And then when we lunged to get it off the roof, it flew onto these enormous oak trees in our road. And we spent about two or three hours standing in the road trying to lure this lovebird down. But in doing so, we noticed all these other birds arriving in the tree. And there I was suddenly spending three hours of my life getting a stiff neck, staring up into these urban trees and noticing all these birds and the way they communicate and the varieties. And it honestly was a revelation to me. And then Anyway, the bird never came back and then in the, the bird flew away completely from the oak trees and we couldn't find it and there was lots of tears. And then the next morning, my younger daughter and I got up for the dawn chorus because we thought maybe, you know, we had read that that's when the bird would be most likely to come home if it was going to come home. So at sunrise, we went out into the road again with binoculars and it was just magical. I mean, obviously we were distressed because we were looking for the bird, but again, just listening to the sounds of the dawn chorus and seeing all these birds. I mean, we walked the roads flat in our suburb and there were just so many birds. It was astounding. I had absolutely no idea 
there were so many incredible species in one small suburb and that they make so many different sounds which you actually only become aware of because you are looking for someone or something. So um, so that was absolutely incredible to me. I guess I should mention, just in case you're worried about the missing bird, that the next morning the bird did actually arrive in our neighbor's garden and actually alerted them through the window. And the neighbor went out with a cage and the bird willingly got into the cage and our lovebirds were reunited. So here's a, just a little clip of them, just so you can hear the, the sort of sounds that they make. So these are the, the bird sounds that I've become very familiar with lately. So later I'll introduce you to the bird who I interviewed. But I just want to play a little clip here of his take on why birds are so amazing. And I'd never thought about it this way, about how ancient they are. So just listen to, I mean, you know, his passion for birds is palpable, but listen to how he describes why they are so amazing. I love the fact that they're old. There's this theory about birds are dinosaurs. And the, the, when we're looking at birds, we're looking at dinosaurs. And we're looking at these uh, animals that have developed over millions of years, these incredible skills that are mind-blowing for me so as we all know birds are most vocal first thing in the morning right so you can wake up and you can hear the birds singing early in the morning whether you are you know out in the bush or at home or whatever but the real question is why and there have been various theories along the way of the fact that there's less wind so the birds can hear each other better Another theory has been that the light isn't quite right for them to hunt insects, so they kind of entertain themselves by making a noise. But the most recent research, which has just come out from Duke University, is that by singing early and often, they actually perform better during the day. So the morning cacophony is mostly males, which I'm sure you can figure out is to impress other potential mates and to show rivals that they have a better voice or whatever. But the co-author of the study, a guy called Stephen Noichi, uh, he's a biology professor at Duke. This is a quote from him. He says, it's like they're warming up backstage before the sun comes up and the curtain rises. I think that's such a beautiful quote to describe what's happening here. So the birdsong may seem effortless, but it actually requires a lot of balancing competing demands of speed and dexterity. Because the way they open and close their beak and use their throat determines the, the sound that they make. So the recordings showed that they start off taking it very easy and they sing more slowly and with a more limited range. But then they eventually pick up the tempo and they reach for higher and lower pitches. And only after a few hundred takes, they nail it. And that happens as the sun comes up. So they actually practice before the sun comes up. Then they have their sort of grand performance when the sun comes up or the curtain rises and then they settle into their day which I think is really beautiful. So what I'm about to play you is a little soundbite from the researchers who actually recorded a dawn chorus. And while you listen to it, listen to all the different birds chiming in together. Thank <laughs> you. 
Now that I had become so interested in birds, especially in the urban landscape, knowing that I wouldn't be getting to a game reserve anytime soon, I knew there was only one person I should contact, and that is Dr. Ian Malcolm Raystake. So in his day job, he's a senior lecturer in film and media studies at the University of Cape Town, but he's a highly enthusiastic semi-pro when it comes to birding. And when I say highly enthusiastic, I mean that he is obsessive. I think his wife would probably call him an obsessive twitcher if she was asked. He's also an atlaser, meaning that he contributes data on what he sees to a huge mapping project. And he also does a lot of writing on birding. But he is particularly interested in birds in cities. And that is exactly why I want to do, speak to him. The first thing I want to know from Ian is why he thinks we take birds so for granted. Even people like myself who you know, I notice flowers and plants and trees and I stare at them and I appreciate them and I teach myself about them. And of course, you know, they're at eye level, which makes it a lot easier. They are literally around us. But we are incredibly lucky to also have so many beautiful birds around us. So why don't we notice them more? Why do we often experience them just as a, you know, an amorphous blob in a tree somewhere nearby? Or, you know, we only kind of think about them if they annoy us like a hardy does making a noise or you know it's just it's interesting to me that we might know like let's say if I see a beautiful little sunbird outside my window while I'm working I will notice it and I'll admire it and appreciate it but I up until recently would not have actively gone out to seek birds in the urban landscape to look at them and I wanted to ask Ian what he thought about that why do so few of us actively look for them and why do we take them so for granted this is what he had to say. I think uh, there's a couple of reasons. I think one reason is that we often take certain kinds of birds for granted. So we get used to them. We are accustomed to seeing sparrows and starlings. Um, often those are even also nuisance birds. So we kind of, we actively dislike them and we tend to lump the whole lot together as being part of the same kind of order. He also told me that regardless of where you live in South Africa, you are likely to see several species a day in your own garden if you just look for them. And the example he gives is Cape Town because that's where he lives. And he says on any given day, if you actively look for birds in your garden, you're likely to see between 20 and 25 species at it in a single day. The other aspect Ian spoke about is that it's not just their presence in our urban landscape. It's also what they do and what they create and how they behave. So listen here how he describes the marvel of a weaver's nest. And I mean, a weaver's nest is something that we've all seen and we often don't think about it twice. We might look and go, oh, wow, you know, the weavers have built another nest. But listen to how Ian describes the extraordinary act that it actually is. I've been watching a weaver building a nest at the, in, the, in the reeds at the, on the river at the bottom of my garden and watching the way in which the bird strips the grass and weaves a nest. When you look at a finished weaver, weaver's nest, it's the most amazing construction. It's, it's so beautiful and you almost can't imagine that a human could weave something that intricate and that fine. And yet the bird's doing that with its claws and its beak and it's weaving them with complete mastery of, of the materials. So I, I, find, I find even that simple thing, there are weavers' nests everywhere. There are millions of weavers. They're a very common bird. But I never get tired of looking at weavers' nests and seeing how intricately they, they are designed and structured and built. It's also about tuning into the different sounds. I mean, if you consider that there's between 10 and 13,000 species of birds in the world, you can imagine the enormous range of sounds that are coming out of those beaks. That number, by the way, is according to the Bird List Organization, which also tells me that there are likely 200 to 400 billion individual birds on Earth today. That is quite astounding. 
So I wanted to know from Ian, how do we tune into that world? Is it just a case of being more aware and listening in or is there some other active way we can tune into the worlds of birds around us in cities? Our urban environment creates a kind of two-dimensional or a wall of sound. All our sounds tend to kind of collapse into one range in our daily lives, whether it's the radio in the car or car noise or planes overhead. And so we don't really distinguish distance or pitch or any of those kind of qualities of sound that are so important. I also asked Ian if he could share any amazing personal stories or things that he had witnessed in the city with regard to birds. So obviously, you know, he's recording data on birds that he sees and he's helping with the mapping project, the atlasing. But I was interested to know if he had ever seen anything extraordinary that one would normally report after returning from a game reserve or something. And he shared such a wonderful story, which he experienced while sitting in the banality of a traffic jam. So listen to his description here. So I'm sitting in the traffic um, a few years ago. It's five o'clock rush hour. Everyone's kind of sitting there listening to the news and the weather. And uh, I'm, I remember distinctly, I was at the intersection where um, Main Road goes, turns right towards Claremont to go over Stanhope Bridge. And, uh, and I've been sitting in the traffic jam for about three light changes. And I, as a birder, my eyes are always alert to movement at the periphery. And I look up in the sky and I just see this, this, this motion and I catch this peregrine falcon, just, you know, obviously the, one of the fastest species, well, probably the fastest animal in the world, just missiling out of the sky and nailing a starling in a puff of feathers um, somewhere over the station. And it was just this lovely moment. Where I'm thinking, I wonder who else saw that. It was like the person who sees an asteroid or a comet over, you know, in, in, in the sky. I then also wanted to find out if he had come across any interesting studies because... He strikes me as someone who's always got his finger on the pulse of the latest studies from the world of ornithology, even though he is a lecturer in film and media studies. And, you know, it's like the laws of attraction. I'm suddenly seeing a whole lot of studies on birds just because I've become more interested in them. But I think for Ian, this has been a passion for so long that he has probably read every single study that's come along. So I haven't shared all of them here because there wouldn't be enough time, but he shared just some of the latest research that he had found out about him which he found really interesting the kind of quirky research is the article that i read the other day about how um, um birds um is looking at bird song and how birds sing to communicate but they also sing to kind of get high they sing to raise the chemicals in their bodies to have a sort of an, an experience that altered that's a sort of brain altering experience um so i like the idea i've always been fascinated by migration so there's lots of studies around, um, recent studies around the amazing migration of birds. And the one that I still love is the, the Bartel Godwit, which has the world's longest single migratory route from um, northern Alaska to southern New Zealand. And these birds essentially, um, they fatten themselves up before they fly and then they fly um, 11,000 k's or something like that in nine or 10 days. And they um, essentially their entire body morphology changes to sustain them during the flight where they don't sleep or eat or drink or anything. And then they land in New Zealand and start eating again and their insides inflate and they kind of resume a normal biology. The last part of my interview with Ian that I want to do share with you guys is his description of swifts. I love what he says about the idea of having two brains and I love how he describes it and you know, honestly, after speaking to him, I felt even more enthusiastic about birds than I have since my plight of <laughs> trying to track down the missing lovebird. So listen here what he says about swifts. I love the idea that swifts um, barely ever land. So for 90% of their lives, they're in the air. 
So one asks the question, how are they able to do that? And the answer is they kind of have two brains. So when one sleeps, the other one turns on. <laughs> and I've always imagined what it would be like to be a human who's got two brains, who can sort of function differently. So there you have it. I hope some of you will open your eyes and ears in the concrete jungle like never before, listening and looking out for these extraordinary creatures. They really are an engineering feat and a visual delight. And I am, my, my life is enriched enormously by just being more aware of them in the cityscape. You know that saying that art decorates space and music decorates time? Well, I think birds do both and a lot more in our natural world and even in our built environment. And I hope that you will join me in just appreciating them a little bit more and taking notice of them. We're incredibly lucky to be surrounded by them. I hope you've enjoyed this. I'm Tanya Faber. This is the Crazy Science Report and I will catch you next time.